be strong or heroic as a lion in order to do the will of your Father in Heaven. There are many fierce creatures in the animal world, and the lion is not known for being the most proactive animal. It does not actually do the hunting. That is performed by the lioness. Why, then, of all animals, is the lion chosen as the embodiment of Gevurah, heroism? Welcome to Bible 365, episode 273, The Lion of Judah in the Lion's Den. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In Washington, D.C.'s National Gallery, one will find one of its most famous works of art, Rubens' depiction of Daniel in the Lion's Den. Most admired by all about the painting is the accuracy with which the Flemish artist portrayed lions, what was then for Europeans exotic animals. But also noted everywhere is the fact that what is not accurate is the artist's depiction of Daniel, because Daniel is shown to be a young man, which makes no sense at all. Daniel, as we know, was exiled from Judah by Nebuchadnezzar. And the story of the lion's den unfolds after the fall of Babel under the reign of the Median king Darius which means that at this point, Daniel would be very old indeed. There is, moreover, another inaccuracy that we can perhaps point out, which is that the painting depicts Daniel praying toward heaven, imploringly seeking salvation. But the point of this story, as we shall see, is that Daniel goes out of his way to pray in a very specific direction. And that is why, as we study this story, we would do well to look at an entirely other image of a lion, one of modern creation but ancient inspiration one which captures what the story of Daniel in the lion's den is really all about. As we saw last week, with the death of Belshazzar, the Babylonian period comes to a close, and the reign of Persia and Media begins. This reign begins with a short period in which the ruler is Darius, not the Darius we will meet later, and Darius's rule is followed by Cyrus. Darius continues to employ and praise Daniel, as at times the Babylonians did. This, in turn, inspires the envy of the other advisors and ministers of King Darius, who seek to set the stage for Daniel's downfall. Chapter 6, verse 4. Then the ministers and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these ministers and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the ministers of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed, and gave thanks in the presence of his God, as he did before. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Thus, Daniel ignores the edict that one can only pray to the king. He prays to God, an act of defiance that has attracted the interest of exegetes classical, medieval, and modern. We previously saw how Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah refused to bow down to an idol, even upon threat of being thrown into a fiery furnace. But as commentators and more modern writers note, idolatry is a sin for which martyrdom, according to Jewish law, is required in order to avoid. But prayer, 
Could not Daniel have merely refrained from engaging in prayer? Why did he violate the king's decree, deliberately, defiantly? Several answers are offered, but it seems, as has been noted, that central to the story is not only the fact that Daniel continued to pray to his God, but also the manner in which he did so. Daniel prays toward Jerusalem, because for him, the God of all the world dwells first and foremost in Jerusalem. As Rabbi Yaakov Medan notes, at this moment, Jerusalem is entirely in ruins, its walls destroyed, its temple gone. And yet for Daniel, it remains Jerusalem still. Thus, Daniel's example inspires so many. For to this day, Jews like Daniel pray three times a day toward Jerusalem, highlighting thereby what has long been the locus of Jewish longing. And there is no question that this seemingly small tradition was actually throughout the centuries central to Jewish self-awareness binding Jews around the world to a sacred city and to each other. We are therefore able to understand why Daniel does not even ponder whether to obey the edict. For him, this was not merely a decree that would prevent prayer. The edict was defied by Daniel because it was seen as an attempt to eradicate his identity, to stamp out Jewish identity. Daniel's prayer was a way of his saying that come what may, he would not forget Jerusalem. Daniel's enemies, meanwhile, are elated. Verse 12. Then they came near and spoke before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Daniel, in other words, is apparently caught, and the king is dismayed that it is Daniel who will be found guilty of a crime because he values Daniel's guidance greatly. Verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was terribly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the setting of the sun in seeking to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. Here, ladies and gentlemen, is an example of the phenomenon emphasized by modern writers on this book, like Rabbi Yaakov Maidan and Rabbi Yigal Ariel, of how profoundly the book of Esther and the book of Daniel seem at times to parallel each other. This argument is exactly what appears in Esther's story. A king's decree cannot be undone even by the king. But of course, as we have mentioned, these two books are also mirror images of one another. For whereas salvation occurs through politics in Esther, here it will take place through manifest miracle. Verse 16. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spoke and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord's that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king rose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouths, that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocence was found in me, 
and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in his God. Thus was Daniel saved from the lions, and according to the interpretation that has been offered thus far, it can perhaps be suggested that while the salvation was certainly a reward for faith, what is being made manifest here is also a divine rewarding of Daniel's love for Jerusalem. And here the presence of lions in the plot is interesting, and we must further ponder the symbolism of this animal in Judaic texts. There is a Mishnaic maxim by Rabbi Yehuda ben Tema, which instructs us, Be bold as a leopard, swift as an eagle, or perhaps as a griffin vulture. Run like a gazelle and mighty as a lion to perform the will of your Father in heaven. All of these animal analogies are interesting, but for our purposes, it is the last that is instructive. Be strong or heroic as a lion in order to do the will of your Father in heaven. There are many fierce creatures in the animal world, and the lion is not known for being the most proactive animal. It does not actually do the hunting. That is performed by the lioness. Why, then, of all animals, is the lion chosen as the embodiment of gavura, heroism? The answer, I would suggest, is that the lion does snap instantly into action at one moment, when his pride, his family, is threatened. That is the lion's job, not to attack others, but to defend those dear to him. In this, the lion becomes associated with one biblical figure. It was Judah, Jacob's son, who is compared by Jacob to a lion. Gur arye Yehuda, Jacob says. Judah is akin to a young lion. And Judah, as we have seen, achieved his greatness when he stepped suddenly in front of his baby brother Benjamin, who appeared suddenly threatened by the vizier of Egypt, which was, of course, Joseph in disguise. Judah and Benjamin, as I have argued in previous episodes, are permanently joined in the sheer tribal territory that makes up Jerusalem. That is why today the Lion of Judah is displayed on the modern flag of Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, thereby linking the city today with Judah's lion-like story. Understanding how Jerusalem is the city of Judah, the city of the man symbolized in the Bible by a lion, sheds greater depth, perhaps, on our own story. For we can now suggest that when Daniel is not devoured by the lions, while it is, of course, due to the miraculous protection that he receives, the symbolic point is that the lions do not devour Daniel because he is one of them. In his constant love for Jerusalem, he has become a lion of Judah, an embodiment of Jerusalem itself. In a striking passage, the Talmud tells us that a blessing is supposed to be recited when one sees a nov harayot, a den of lions. The blessing is, blessed are you who has made a miracle in this place. The simple meaning of the Talmud is that when one specifically comes upon the original lion's den in which Daniel was thrown, a blessing ought to be uttered in commemoration of the miracle that occurred to this biblical hero. But Rabbi Norman Lamb once offered a homiletical and insightful interpretation that the blessing is an expression of gratitude to God for the examples of courage in our history familial loyalty in our history, from our very beginnings as a people. He put it this way, quote, When one sees a pride of a den of lions, he must thank God for the miracles performed for our ancestors. He must praise the Almighty for having endowed our people with the quality of the lion, 
for having given us, even in the infancy of our history, when we left Egypt as a band of disorganized slaves, the blessing of Leonine courage. End quote. This episode is being released on Jerusalem Day, Yom Yerushalayim, when Jews mark another miraculous moment vindicating the Jewish love and longing for Jerusalem and the courage made manifest in the achievement of Jerusalem's reunification. We remember Daniel on this day, and we remember all the Jews in generations after him who imitated his example and ensured that Jerusalem would not be forgotten. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Wishing you a joyous Yom Yerushalayim, signing off.